I started cold plunging this week. There's a whole host of benefits. Uh, decreasing inflammation, hormone regulation, cultivating fortitude, mental toughness. I love the challenge. I've been also, in relation to challenges, I've been practicing martial arts since I was like a kid, though off and on. Kung Fu, Karate, Taekwondo, and then now Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Also something I love in relation to the challenge. I also got introduced to weightlifting when I was 12 years old. Steve Ruiz invited me to what was known then as Family Fitness, now 24-Hour Fitness. And after lifting, I was absolutely hooked. I had to call my mom to pick me up. You know, I was only 12 years old, and I could barely lift up the phone because my biceps were so strained. I loved it. Loved the physical challenge. Loved developing mental fortitude. Loved developing myself, challenging myself physically. But you know what? I'll be honest. Sometimes there was such resistance to wielding such strength, such mental fortitude for my wife. I can go to the gym. I can lift pound after pound after pound. Now learning to get into 50-degree weather or pool, developing the mental fortitude. But when it comes to, let's just say, setting up the Christmas decorations, dragging the tree out of the garage... There is such resistance, such resistance for serving my wife who wants to serve the family, cultivate traditions, make our home a hospitable place for our family, for our friends. You got to wonder, is all that strength that comes along with manhood, all the mental fortitude that comes along with manhood, And then, of course, we can expand it to other categories. You know, if you love thinking about organization, administration, taking care of your household, taking care of your retirement account, all of that mental energy given into taking care of yourself. We got to ask, is all of those capabilities and capacities given to us just for ourselves? Or have we as men, we as husbands, been given strength in order to wield them for others. The focus of today's passage, we see how strength is to be wielded for the good of specifically our wives, evergreen husbands, and the good of women in general. And we are in 1 Peter chapter 3. I invite you to go ahead and turn there with me now. 1 Peter chapter 3, and we are in verse 7. The main idea, the main topic that we focus on today is simple. It is godly Christian husbanding. Godly Christian husbanding. We continue again in the letter of 1 Peter, which was written by the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. And in the early 60s, he's writing to Christians and churches spread around what is now known today as modern Turkey. And they were suffering. They were suffering for their faith. Some of them were being beaten for their faith, suffering unjustly. And he writes into that situation in order to lift their spirits and help them persevere in the faith during their various trials. He reminds them of the great blessings of salvation that are in Jesus Christ. And as he does so, he also, in the letter, encourages them to press on, to persevere in doing good. 
while they await the return of Jesus Christ. He encourages them to go on and speak the gospel and go on and live changed lives in front of the culture so that they too, maybe one day by God's grace, would come to know Christ themselves. And in 2.13, if you look there in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, Peter helps us know how it is that everybody can do good for Christ, living Christ-like lives. And he does this using this household code, commonly used in the writings of the day and uh, earlier. The writers there would address the ones underneath authority and then the ones in authority loosely. Sometimes they don't, sometimes they do. But in general, they're, they're addressing those in this stage of life and then also those in this stage of life. And we have seen how Christians as citizens, for example, Peter addresses this in 2.13 to 18. He addresses how citizens under uh, the Roman authority, what they are to do, how they are to do good, how they are to honor the empire honor the emperor, but fear the Lord. In 2.18 to 25, there he addresses Christian servants underneath unjust masters and encouraging them to walk in the very footsteps of Jesus who had to endure unjust suffering. And then in 3.1 to 7, he addresses wives and then husbands. Last time we looked at how Christian wives can do good in their marriage towards their non-believing husbands, even if they fear. And today, again, we look at godly Christian husbanding. But before we read the passage, let me just say that even though our focus today is on Christian husbands, and then we apply it to husbands here at Evergreen, this passage is helpful to the entire church. It is helpful to all of us here today. So don't just tune out simply because you don't see exactly your stage of life mentioned here. So if you are a man or if you are a boy, if you fully intend to grow up into a man here, this passage helps you understand what you are to grow into if you expect to be married. Gals who expect to be married, this helps you know what to look for in a future husband if you want to get married. Right? So we all here should be paying attention. For wives, this is how you can be praying for your husband and what you can encourage in your husband. Folks who may find themselves single, who choose to be single, this is how you can encourage your in your guy friends as they desire to be married or your married guy friends. You can pray for them as well. Presumably you have friends who are married, so therefore you're in relationship here. This again applies to the whole entire church. So as we transition to 1 Peter chapter 3, 7, let's go ahead and read from uh, verse number 1 of chapter 3 just to get the context here. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And then here's our passage for today. Likewise, or similarly, next in the list, he moves on to husbands. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. 
Again, we are looking, main idea, godly Christian husbanding. And as we seek to understand God's Word and then apply it to our lives, the first thing to note is, point number one, point number one, husbands are to live with their wives with understanding. Husbands are to live with their wives with understanding. You look there in verse 7, it's very clear. Likewise, or similarly, just moving on from the, in the list. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, before we get to an explanation, as we read the context here, you might be wondering, why is it that Peter only gives one verse to husbands? And he gave six there to the wives. Maybe you were hoping that your husband right next to you would be hearing more from God on how you are to be treated. Let's remember here that this letter is focusing and encouraging on the suffering Christian and was probably, in terms of who was suffering the most, it was probably slaves underneath unjust masters and then wives fearing that their non-Christian husbands perhaps are going to leave and go elsewhere. It was probably them who were sort of the the model suffer. And so he gives more lines, more words, more airtime to addressing and encouraging them. And uh, that's why it seems like he doesn't really, he doesn't address masters at all. And he only gives one verse there to Christian husbands. But just because there's only one verse here in our passage does not mean that Christian husbanding is unimportant. It is absolutely important. According to the New Testament, Christian husbanding is super important. And we're going to get into this a little bit later. So we are talking this morning, we're giving our whole entire sermon. That's how important it is. We're going to give it this one verse, uh, you know, this whole entire sermon to address the topic starting from this call to godly leadership of the husband. And then we're going to turn also to Ephesians chapter 5 and dig into that a a little bit also. So what is this call to live with your wives in an understanding way? Evergreen wives are probably rejoicing. This already happened as I explained to one in the ACE class that I'll be talking about Christian husbanding. The wife, you know, leaned over and said, oh, you better pay attention. What is it here? What, what does he mean when he says, live with your wives in an understanding way? Well, let me just say that uh, there are basically two ways to understand this. As we try to understand, the meaning is right here in the text, right? We want to understand the words. That's, that's exactly what we're doing in sermons. We try and understand. Uh, some take this understanding to be directed towards the wife, right? And maybe they say, uh, they're saying that uh, husbands ought to be understanding their wives in all of the intricacies, being considerate of who they are. And so natural application, therefore, is to study and to know their wives. I, however, follow those who see this phrase, live with your wives in an understanding manner, understanding way. I see this phrase as that we are to know about God and his will for our wives. Godly leadership begins with knowledge of God and His will, does it not? For who we are, who our wives are. And then, of course, it it extends into, well, who is this particular wife that God has given me? So at the end of the day, both of these these understandings are included, though I do take this phrase to refer to with understanding, which can be translated as live with, with your wives with knowledge. This knowledge at its foundation begins with God and His will for us and our wives. Again, that is how it can be translated from Greek to English, live with them with knowledge. And I think he explains what this knowledge is. It is first that women are described here as weaker vessels. We're going to get into that. And then second, that they are co-heirs with us in Christ. 
So first you have like, what is this knowledge that they are described here as weaker vessels? Therefore, they ought to be honored. And then also they ought to be honored because they are co-heirs with Christ. Again, we're going to get into this. So this knowledge is actually right here revealed in this verse. Now, of course, by application, this passage does indeed call you, Christian husband, to think well about how it is that we can be considerate to our specific wives as daughters in Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, if, if you are exploring Christianity, you're visiting with us, let me just say how a Christian thinks and acts. Here, we're looking at Christian husbanding. Last time we looked at Christian wifing. How the Christian acts is always to be informed and determined by knowing God and His will. That is where the, every Christian is to take his or her cues for all of life. All of life. That really is the goal, right? To submit our whole entire selves to God and His will. Rocky has described uh, sanctification, discipleship as that. And I think that is a, a good biblical starting point. That's exactly what we are to do. And we know that casting off God and His will is what got us into trouble in the first place. In the beginning, when God, our loving maker, created us to be in a relationship with Him, sin was, or sin uh, is basically the casting off of God and His will. And so when one becomes a Christian, is saved by grace, when, when one repents of their sin and turns to Jesus Christ and acknowledges Him as Creator, Lord, and Savior, that's what they're doing. They're recognizing, whoa, okay, I've been living as if I am God. That's basically the nature of sin. And they're saying, I need to submit myself to the one and only true God, the author of life, the creator, my very maker. And he has designed me. He knows what is best for me. And so therefore, I need to turn to him, right? That's kind of part and parcel with the gospel is submitting ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the, as the history unfolds, uh, God himself, even though we had cast him off and sinned against him in rebellion, earning for ourselves just judgment, God pursues us in Christ, calling us back, calling us back. He turns up, his eternal son turns up, taking on flesh, and he calls us to repent of our sins. He lives the righteous life that was demanded upon us as the righteousness, as full righteousness was demanded of us, of God. He dies on the cross, dying the death that we ourselves had earned because of our sin. He bears the wrath that we deserved. And then now he calls all to repent of our sins and believe on him. And we will be saved, forgiven of our sin, adopted into his family, reconciled to our very maker, free to live, united with him. Three days later, after he is crucified, he gets up from the dead, declaring that the death sentence no longer hangs over us, his people. But instead, we know absolute freedom in Christ. The love of God, His peace and joy poured out into our hearts as we are united with our Maker. And so that's what the Christian does, right? We are submitting ourselves to God and His will. That's the, the, the goal of Christian, the Christian. Christian husbanding even. Christian wifing. And here he says that they are to live with our wives. Husbands are to live with their wives in an understanding way, with knowledge. You can imagine how for the Christians that Peter was writing to, they certainly needed to be informed of God and His will. Many of them came out of a pagan background in this Greco-Roman worldview. Kind of like you guys, kind of like all of us. You know, we live a, a life before Christ, 
and we're going to be adopted. We're going to be adopting society's worldview. That's what happened. Then we become Christians, right? Submit ourselves to God and his will. That is what's going on. Peter is helping to inform them about God and his will. Back then, that culture said that women were inferior to men, not just in strength, but in inferior in her capacity for reason, inferior in her emotions, making them the woman more susceptible to immorality. But as was addressed last time at length, the Bible doesn't say anything like that. The Bible doesn't say that women are inferior in reason, nor inferior in emotions, nor inferior in morality. And so Peter writes here into that situation, helping to recalibrate the the husband's view of their wives, of men, of women. Their worldview had changed. And the starting point of their new worldview was God in Christ, where they are to live for Him, live in Him. This is actually something that Peter's been addressing throughout our, uh, the section here, starting from, let's just say, 2.12, 2.13. Christians, though they had lived under the Roman Empire, they are, yes, to honor the empire, but they are to fear the Lord. Christian servants and slaves, though they are experiencing suffering, they are encouraged to endure mindful of God and all of their inheritance that lies ahead, the salvation that He has won for them, and the good that they can do just as Jesus endured suffering. Christian wives, though they may certainly fear something in their marriages to non-Christian husbands, they are encouraged to not finally hope in themselves or in their husbands, but in God. And then now in our verse, according to the knowledge of God and His will, husbands are told to live with their wives in an understanding way, informed of God's will for them to live with them with knowledge. So evergreen husband, let me ask you, what is the foundation of your husbanding? Whose understanding is it based on? Is it based on the cultures or is it based on God and his word and will? I mean, you, you, you figure that we would all say, yeah, God and his word and his will, but actually we're kind of in some ways, tempted to stray away from that. But how silly is that? God himself is the one who created the office of husband. He is the one who has crafted your job description according to his word to be protectors, as we are known that the man was put in the garden to protect it, by extension, everything in it, including Eve. And we are also to be providers for our wives as we love them with the very love of Jesus Christ. Go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I said that we would go there. Uh, so let's go ahead and do that now. Ephesians chapter 5. Here we're called so clearly to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Ephesians five twenty five. Go ahead and look there. You see this great and wonderful call. Five twenty five. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How is it that he loved the church? He sacrificed himself for her. You look there at verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And you see this grand purpose, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, just as he is, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, guys, in the same way, husbands, you guys should love your wife as your own body. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. 
And so your wife is a member of your own body, just as you protect your own self. So you should protect and give and provide and care for and love your wife as well. You look there in 31. Therefore, he's quoting Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, right? It's a profound mystery. What's interesting is that you would figure, he said, and this mystery refers to Adam and Eve. He doesn't say that. He says that this mystery, even though I'm quoting from Genesis chapter one, this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So Christian husband, your marriage relationship with your wife is to picture, display, reflect, image Christ's dying, passionate, sacrificial love, personal love for his church. That's what his love is like. His love is personal as he himself gives. His love is sacrificial as he dies, gives himself for the church. His love is passionate as he goes to the death for his church. And his love is purposeful as there is a grand purpose to, to gather for himself a people, beautiful. With Christ as our great Savior and example, Paul says, in the same way, husbands, love your wives. It's a wonderful mystery, isn't it? It's incredible. How many of us are tempted to think that our marriages ultimately are for our fulfillment? Or maybe to glory in the marriage itself? Or some of us maybe might be tempted to think that marriage is really about glorifying our wives. But that's actually not the case. Marriage here is about the exaltation in Jesus, of Jesus, as we seek to re-image Christ's love to our very wives. And the watching world says, something's different about that. God has designed husbanding so that the love for your wife would help your wife understand more of Christ's love for his church, more of Christ's love for her. As we ourselves give of ourselves for her. That's your grand task, Christian husband. And it's not finally about you. Again, it's not finally about her. It's not finally about your marriage. It is finally about Christ and the church. So husband, this means that you are to love your wife not finally in the way that you think she should be loved. Not finally in the way that she thinks she should be loved. But in a way that she knows is love because it is Christ-like. Guys, if you're going to love like Christ, right, we need, therefore, to know more of Christ's love for ourselves. Right? If you're going to love your wife successfully, biblically, like Christ, you've got to know Christ's love for yourself. So let me ask you, do you know and revel in his steadfast, patient, gracious, gentle love towards you in Jesus? His love that never dies for you. His love for you that never turns his back on you. Christ's love, you realize, is the answer to your fickle love for Christ. And maybe even, dare we say it, our fickle love for our wives. Christ's love is the answer to our fickle love. Do you meditate and revel on Christ's love for you that is long-suffering? Not for them, for you. 
because it is His love that confronts selfish impatience. Do you meditate, revel, strive to know Christ's love that is so wise, so patient, leading you in sanctification in a way that doesn't crush you, but leading you in a way that is so carefully planned because it is that love, that love, Christ-like love that leads in just the right way with perfect wisdom, perfect knowledge and love for you at every step of the way. One thing that I find so encouraging about Pastor Kenny, and we've already seen this today, is that he seems to exude a knowledge of God's love for him. If you listen to the way he... Here's the scripture read, right? Psalm 103, God's steadfast love for us, removing our sins as far as the east is from the west. He's there for us. He's then praying in his pastoral prayer more about how we can know this great love and how he expresses too a knowledge of such great love that then is to affect... Did you hear it in his pastoral prayer? Relationship. That's super encouraging. It shows evidence of reveling and knowing Christ's steadfast love for himself that then fuels Christ-like love towards others. Give yourself then, Christian husband, to knowing the love of your Savior for you. This is the foundation of understanding and knowledge. You want to live with your wife in an understanding way. It requires you know God's love for yourself. So let me encourage you to give yourself to studying the Word of God. It might not seem like a really manly thing, but that is a manly thing. To know with extreme ownership that we are absolutely desperate and in need of God's love to save us. There is nothing we can do, no matter how many pounds we can lift, no matter how good we are at strategizing about building up a strong portfolio, we are bankrupt in soul. And we need the love of Christ to save us. That's what we try and do every Sunday as we preach these sermons to hold out the love of God undeserved, the eternal grace of God, the eternal riches of God in Jesus Christ towards sinners in need of salvation. And then when we come to know just how bankrupt we are and how strong our face was set against God, and then to know that God by His sovereign grace gives us a new heart, causes us to be born again, saves us to Himself, to, to Him where we would know Him as Father, know Him as loving Father. It's then in those moments that we come to see just how weak we are. And then when we know that love for ourselves, we can turn and we want others to know that same love through us in our words and in our actions. Let me encourage you guys to give yourselves to studying the Word. Give yourselves to listening carefully to these sermons and talking about it. Let me encourage you also to read Christian literature. If you guys want some books on manhood, I got them for you. If you want them, I'll just lay them here. You can come and take pictures of them. Go and buy them. The the Masculine Mandate, God's Calling to Men. Super easy book to read. If you are a young man, if you are a teenager, buy this book. Read it. If you're an old man too, go ahead and buy this book and read it. This will be helpful. Love That Last, a book on marriage. Right? You've never, how many of us want to study, let's say, the news, for example? What's going on in the world? Study the stock market updates and everything else. Your own health, your own diagnosis, the own, your own way forward. Right? But how many of us are, are striving to study well what it means to be married? 
what it means to reflect in our marriages God's love in Christ to the church. Here's another one. If you've been married for a longer period of time, let's say the honeymoon period is over. Now you realize that you wake up every day next to a sinner, which my wife does, right? We got when sinners say I do, discovering the power of the gospel for marriage, right? How the gospel informs marriages. Super useful book. Again, I'll, I'll put them right here and I'll actually give, if you are a member of the church, I'm going to give this to you and, and, a, and a, a husband. I'm going to give this book to you, okay? Find it. I'll be in the back. Um, whoever gets there first and wants it, gets it. So, so that's the question, right? If we are to love our wives with Christ-like love, the question is, do we know it ourselves? It's an encouragement for us to dive into knowing the endless love of Jesus for us. Not only does God desire and command husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way with knowledge, He commands husbands to honor their wives, to honor their wives. This brings us to point number two. Husbands are to honor their wives. Honor here means value appropriately, pretty clear. It means to prize. And we know from Ephesians 5 that God calls husbands to value our wives as we value our own bodies. This is a high calling. Both because God, the greatest ruler, has commanded we do this. That's why it is important in and of itself. But it is also because we know from God's word that wives and women in general here, when it says live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the weaker vessel, uh, he actually uses a general term for woman. Showing honor to the woman. So this is talking about women in general. Um, it's important because we know that women and w- women in general have such worth as being made in the image of God, right? This is a high calling because there is high value. There is high calling because there is such high value. This was so different than what society had claimed at the time. Again, women were assigned a lower value. In fact, one commentator noted that this call for husbands to honor their wives was totally unheard of in the literature of that day. But in the kingdom of God, the church and Christian marriages, husbands are called to honor and to cherish their wives. Again, the answer is why. Here we get into more, we go back to what is this knowledge that we are to know? What's this understanding? We see two things. First, uh, we see this description that the woman is the weaker vessel. And second, she is a co-heir in Christ. And we're just going to look at those two things right now. First, it says there that the woman is a weaker vessel. First, your wife is described here as what it says, a weaker vessel. What does this mean? Let's look at vessel. Vessel, according to the word of God, can be just simply used for a person, male, female. It doesn't really matter. God creates, you know, like a potter making the pottery. God makes vessels, jars, clay, men and women. Where some, though, have questions is on the meaning of weaker. This word weaker can be a little offensive in our day and age, but it certainly does not need to be. And here it is not intended to be. Here Peter refers to the fact that women in general are physically weaker than men. We see this truth worked out in cultures across the globe, though men in a particular culture are on average bigger and stronger compared to the women of that same culture. Of course, there, are, there, are the, there is the anomaly, but in general, in a specific culture, the men are bigger and stronger than the women of that same culture. But there's, there's also additional things that are attached to what it looks like to be weaker. We know that it is in the sinful and corrupt world 
that it is often the weaker who are more vulnerable to mistreatment. Remember, he's writing into a culture addressing situations where there is great mistreatment. It is in this sinful world that Christians are then to shine for Christ. In Christian marriage and in the church, again, in general, women, wives, are to be given the honor that God intends them to have. Instead of of being taken advantage of, they are therefore to be protected as made in the image of God and weaker. Instead of being objectified, they are to be loved and appreciated as made in the image of God. Because of sin, women are dehumanized. But here in marriages and in the church, they are to be honored and cherished as they are women made in the image of God. This is what God does, doesn't He? He is pleased to honor those who are less honored in the eyes of the world. You can see this in Matthew chapter 5. You can see this in 1 Corinthians. He is pleased to honor those who are less honored in the eyes of the world. So then the question for us in terms of application is, are you husband honoring and cherishing your wife? And how is it that we are to go about doing these things? How is it that we are to honor and prize our wives? Well, there are plenty of examples of how men dishonor wives and women in general. Sinful men capitalize on the fact that women are weaker using their strength and harshness to lord over them. Sadly, sinful men use their power and determination in order to run others over physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Some husbands might treat their wives more like slaves used to build their own kingdom on the backs and in the wombs of their wives. If that's the way the world does it, Well, friend, how different is your wife's experience in her marriage with you? Do you bring all of your strength, however much you have, and all of your capacities to your covenant marriage day after day after day, honoring and cherishing your wife? Through your strength, does your wife know protection and help? Even in setting up the Christmas tree? Or do you use your strength to simply, selfishly do what you want? Now again, teenagers here, you guys know this too. I was one as well. When I was 13, I was practicing flexing in the mirror. Thought my muscles were all just for myself. You can ask yourself, Do you wield those muscles for the women in your household joyfully, eagerly, taking out the trash, mastering that, keeping your house clean for the sake of the women and yourself in your house? I certainly didn't growing up. With your mind and with your heart, Do you pursue your wife to hear her thoughts and her feelings? Not so much that you can problem solve, though certainly at times that is necessary, I'm sure, but so that you can understand and walk with her, supporting her as she navigates life. And do you think that she knows that your leadership has at its end, for its goal, the glory of Jesus 
and her delight in him as you speak biblical christ-like words of encouragement words of grace that is fitting for the situation speaking love speaking truth in love or even at times gentle rebuke as the situation calls for it is she prized and honored in your household as one worthy of honor made in the image of god given to you for this earthly time so that you can minister christ to her I think sometimes we come to this passage and we think that we see here, okay, we are to show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And sometimes the temptation might be to be like, okay, I'm supposed to honor her because she's so weak. She's so weak, so easily broken. And so therefore we got to protect her because we protect weak, vulnerable things that can be so easily broken, not worth very much because they're not as strong as us. That's not how we're supposed to understand it. You think about, let's say, things that need to be shown honor or things that need to be protected. You think of, let's just say, Queen Elizabeth. As she walks out in whatever task, as she used to walk out in whatever task she had, lined with security, protecting her. They don't protect her because she's weak. They protect her because she is so valuable, filled with honor, ruling over England, valuable, honor, beautiful, full of capacity. Therefore, she's protected. Is she prized and honored in your household? How can you start? How can you start prizing her and honoring her? Start with your words. Here's an encouragement. Start with your words. Do you see faithfulness and godliness? Encourage her. Do you see a love and service towards others, towards you, your kids, neighbors, those in, the, those in need, those in the church? Encourage her. Do you see spiritual effort? Do you see patience with you? Encourage her. Do you see joy? Encourage her. You realize that if you encourage, right, pointing out where you see God's work God's grace at work in her life, you're reminding her that God is indeed at work creating her, making her more beautiful, fit for him as part of the church, fit for him, not fit for you because then she's not going to be very, very beautiful because let's face it, we're not that beautiful. We're certainly not that holy apart from the grace of God. Christ though is using you, wants to use you to fit her for himself, his glory, to display him, to be matched with him at that day. Encourage a reminder that God himself, her savior, her ultimate lover is at work making her all the more beautiful in his eyes. And if she is prone to discouragement, you then have the opportunity to lift her spirits with words of grace. And if you are prone to a critical spirit, it'll help remind you in all of your denseness, I'm speaking to myself, by the way, that God himself is always at work And with that, there is always encouragement. This here is a great start in your family and in this church to help our wives and women in general in this community flourish and grow into all that God desires of his daughters. May the marriages of Evergreen, at Evergreen, be a place where godly husbands lead, love, and protect our wives and women in general, men in general, we protect women, not because they are so weak, but because in God's eyes they are so valuable. 
And Christ is working on His bride, the church, readying once again the church to present her to Himself in all of its splendor. Husband, again, Christian desires to use you in the life of your wife, loving her in Christ, loving her like Christ, to prepare them to meet their Savior. Reason number two for why we should honor our wives. Reason number two for why we should honor our wives. Wives, they are co-heirs in Christ. They are co-heirs in Christ. While the verse says that women are weaker, the weaker vessel, God makes clear that they are equal in the eyes of God. Both men and women are bona fide legal heirs of the kingdom of God. Though husbands and wives differ in physical stature, differ in role, both are equal in the eyes of God. This here is a call to acknowledge equality in the eyes of God and to act on it. Heirs with you of the grace of life, that is salvation. This language brings us back to chapter 1. Remember the inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for Christians. For you, Christian, it's not just for men only. It's not just for the stronger. It's for both husband and wife, men and women who repent of their sins and follow Jesus. Both are stones built on top of Christ made into the spiritual house where we offer spiritual sacrifices to God. That's First Peter language there. God wants us to know how prized His daughters are in His eyes. So He makes sure that we know that they too will inherit what He has determined by His law. How much more then should we love our wives with a Godward and Christward love? God who has made women in His image... God who has saved them, God who has blessed us with them, is preserving them in order that they too would reach final salvation. The fact that God is preserving our wives to the end should absolutely condemn our sometimes selfish love. And on the other hand, it should condemn our sometimes enabling love. Right, so on one side of the spectrum, we have what I'll call the tyrant husband The tyrant husband loves his wife for his sake. The wife is some sort of, is seen as some sort of slave to his desires. She is to be cherished and honored insofar as she serves his good. On the other side of the spectrum, there is the enabler husband who cherishes and honors his wife for her sake. He is a slave to her desires. Here is the wife. Here, the wife is to be cherished or else. But the Christian husband is to love his wife for Christ's sake, a Godward, Christ-like love, exhausting ourselves for our wives for Christ's sake, prizing and cherishing her, loving her with a Godward love because, again, she's been made in God's own image. She has been redeemed by the blood of the Lord and redeemed not finally for you, husband, but for Christ. Love in a Christian marriage has the goal of the glory of God in Christ. As co-heirs in Christ, our wives have a, fu- have a future inheritance. But in general, as God has claimed them as His daughters, they are to play a special role here and now as we work our way to that inheritance. We obviously talk a lot about discipleship relationships here at Evergreen. You know that your marriage is the most fundamental, intentional discipleship relationship that you have? And while according to the Bible, the husband is in fact to lead and to exercise headship, and the wife is to submit, as we've seen in 1 Peter chapter 
3, 1 to 6. Um, this doesn't negate the fact that we are to learn from each other, that we are to be discipled by one another. This is what happens, friends, in regular Christian friendship. God has given you, Christian husband, according to Genesis 1, he has given you a helpmate, helpmate to be your complement, complementary. He has given you a complementary helpmate in order to help you fulfill your task that God has given you to lead your family, to love Jesus and neighbor more and more, and to care for your world. Your wife brings incredible strengths to that goal, to your family, to you. All of her intellectual, emotional, spiritual, moral, physical capacities, she brings to the marriage for your good and your family's good as you fulfill God's plan to image Him to the world. Husband, it is your responsibility to appreciate, identify, learn from, cultivate, and deploy such strengths for God's glory as we are simply co-heirs in Christ designed to minister to one another, striving to do good for His sake in the world, refining each other all the way to the end. So... How do you appreciate your wife as a child of God? With all of the gifts given to her by the Lord in order to do spiritual good to you. How is it that you appreciate her as she does good to you? Let me ask ask some diagnostic questions to help us determine how good we are at appreciating our wives here as we seek to appreciate them as co-heirs of Christ, children of God. What are your wife's strengths that she brings to the marriage? Have you taken time to make an inventory of these things? As a child of God filled by the Spirit, growing in wisdom, do you seek out her assessment of you as a Christian? Asking where she thinks you need to grow spiritually? Where she thinks you need to grow in your fight against sin? When was the last time you did that? How about her assessment of you as a man? As a husband? As a father? As a lover? Have you asked her how she thinks you can grow? These are just some of the questions you can ask yourself to help you value your wife as God's gift to you, to help you grow in Christ's likeness, and to carry out the mission to image Him to the world. If you're coming to realize that you, in fact, need to think about this more, which is all of us, come on, let's admit it, let me encourage you guys to do something about it. Take some time at a dinner date night. Take a long walk. Sit at the park and feed the ducks and have some good godly conversation. Here's some questions. Actually, if you look in your app, um, you'll see a bunch of questions that I listed here. These these are some questions that uh, me and Melanie got from another couple, and we've been using ourselves to have on date night. Here are some good questions to generate good conversation. They are in the app. Open the app. They're right there. You could ask on this date night, ask of your wife, what could I do to cause you to feel more loved? What could I do to cause you to feel more respected? What could I do to cause you to feel more secure? 
What could I do to cause you to feel more understood? What could I do to cause you to feel more confident in our future direction? What attribute would you most like me to develop? What attribute would you like me to help you develop in yourself? What achievement in my life would bring you greatest joy? What would indicate to you that I really desire to be more Christ-like? What mutual goal would you like us to accomplish? How are your quiet times going? What do you want to accomplish in your quiet times in the upcoming year? How is our love life? Christian husbands, let me encourage you to take that set of questions. Go on a date night and ask your wives those questions. Don't turn it around and say, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. That would not be helpful. And gals, if your husband isn't used to asking these questions and then he's trying to encourage him, encourage him where you see good. We might be bigger, but that doesn't mean we're a little sensitive. If your man asks you these questions, it might not be a good time, keep in mind, to unload all of your grievances. You've got to be strategic. Sanctification takes a lifetime. And husbands, if it's been a while since you've led like this, or maybe you have never led like this, let me encourage you to begin again. Begin. Begin leading by simply and humbly repenting of your sin and asking God for forgiveness. And then ask your wife for forgiveness as well for not leading for not honoring her the way that God wants her honored. And then go on and pray together. Ask Christ to bind your hearts together in the gospel. We have nothing to fear. There is nothing to fear if we've been forgiven by Christ. Christ already knows the worst of us. Your wife doesn't even know the worst of you. Christ knows the worst of us. And so there's freedom in simply repenting and then seeking to move in a more godly direction. Some of you even right now might be tempted to resist leading in this way, you know, maybe because of your own pride, maybe because of the wrongs done to you and maybe the bitterness that's remained or built up over these unresolved issues. Regardless, what better way to lead than to acknowledge your own faults and sins, regardless of what's happened to you? What better way to lead than to acknowledge your own faults and sins, your own sins before God, and then to seek His help? and forgiveness. And you know what? A woman who is filled with the Spirit, though it might be difficult to forgive initially, will try and follow in that same dependence upon God and repentance. Don't resist. Did you see the warning at the end of the verse there? If the husband rejects God's commands to treat his wife as if she were not a beloved of God, God says that that husband's prayers will not be answered. They are to honor and cherish their wives, quote, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Meaning, if they fail to do this, God will not answer your prayers. And this makes sense. If you read this verse, if a husband reads this verse and says, nah, forget it. This whole cherish stuff, live, live with your wives in an understanding way, whatever. You realize that you are rejecting God's will for your life. So when you stroll up to God, praying to Him, asking God, I don't know, for to be Spirit-filled, to know His will for this or to that, when we clearly do not care about what He has already revealed, we got to ask, is this building our own kingdom instead of Christ's? 
Evidence of being filled with the Spirit, for example, is loving Christ, submitting our lives to His Word, receiving His Word, loving it, and doing it, where the mind of Christ becomes ours to a growing degree more and more. His purposes become our purposes. His desires become our desires. His loves become our loves, His commands, our marching orders. So how in the world, why in the world would we stroll up to God asking Him to do something when we clear, clearly don't care about this thing? His beloved, the one for whom Christ shed his blood. If that is us again, we have to ask ourselves whose will do we actually want to see accomplished? That's like mouthing, Your will be done, but in our hearts shouting, May my kingdom come. But Christian, you are a soldier of the king, and he has joined you together with one of his daughters so that he would be glorified in your life together as a couple. And it is in loving our wives that God is honored in the marriage covenant. Naturally so, as God designed marriage so that Christ's love would be re-imaged to a degree and known more intimately by husband and your wife. Husbands of Evergreen, God has united you with one of His daughters in Christ. He desires you live with her in an understanding way, prizing her, honoring her, valuing her appropriately as one who is made in the image of God, a co-heir of Christ, redeemed by the blood of Christ. How are you, through the way in which you love, helping her enter into more of Christ's sacrificial love for her? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, God, how amazing is it that we know what love is? Lord, how desperate would we be if we relied on our own wisdom to determine what this love is, how we are to love our wives, what faithfulness looks like, what sacrifice looks like, what passion looks like, what determination looks like. We thank you, God, that we can just turn to the cross to see steadfast love given to us as sinners, saved by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that for Evergreen and all of the marriages here and all the marriages that will ever come out of Evergreen, Lord, that they would be representing Christ's love to his bride that is the church more and more. Help us turn away from our own wisdom and turn to the gospel for wisdom. Help us turn to Jesus for our great and marvelous example of what it looks like to love. We pray, God, that you would help us as men in general honor the women here in this church, not because they are so weak, but because, God, you honor and value them so much. Help us wield the strength and all of our capacities that you have given us for the protection and the provision and the loving of the women here at Evergreen, such that they would know that this place in the kingdom of God is a safe place to be, safer than the world. Lord, we pray that the husbands here at Evergreen, Lord, that we would work in such a way where our wives would know that the safest earthly place to be in is in the covenant marriage with us. Help us be greater husbands, godly husbands who seek to love 
with the same sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would do these things, not ultimately for our praise or the glory of marriage itself, but ultimately for the gospel's sake. These things we pray in your name. Amen.